Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast created by and for the women your mamas warned you about. This hour, we're talking about sex work and solidarity. Here today, we have Lindsay, Hope, Ambria, and Laura. We'll also be joined by special guests in just a few minutes. When we talk about sex work, it's really important that we define our terms. Um, And unless you are, have been, or are close with a sex worker, when you hear the phrase sex work, you probably think of full-service sex work, more bluntly called prostitution. However, there are so many other varieties of sex work, um, some of which are legal, some of which are illegal, and some that exist in a gray area, including phone sex operating, stripping, webcam modeling, acting in porn, doming, sugaring, and yes, full-service sex work. If you're unfamiliar with any of these terms, don't worry, we'll be going further in depth on them later in the show. Of course, we on Season of the Bitch are of the mind that sex work is work, and sex workers, like all workers, are exploited under capitalism. Of course, the most important part of showing solidarity is actually listening to the people with whom you're showing solidarity. So without further ado, here's our first guest. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, this is so fun. <laughs> We're grateful to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. All right, so our first guest today is uh, Mistress Velvet. Hello, thank you so much for joining us. Thank um, you. <laughs> we're really glad to have you here. So first off, I know that you're involved in, I mean, you've got a whole lot going on in your life. So why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about what you're passionate about? Sure, yeah. So, um, okay, I do have a lot going on. I just <laughs> finished my master's this year um, in women's and gender studies and African diaspora studies. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm taking like a year break and then going to get my PhD. So I'm applying now um, in those kind of two fields. So I'm really interested in like kind of black feminist thought as it relates to black femme sexuality and thinking about myself in relation to myself and to other people has been really fun. And I think that's kind of been informed by the fact that I've been a sex worker for the past couple of years. I am a dominatrix and do that as my labor in conjunction with also being a sex educator for middle school and high schoolers. And then I also like help teach these trainings for like social workers and other professionals um, that need training around like the intersections of interpersonal violence. And so I talk about, I teach about that as it relates to sex workers. So it's a lot, but they're all kind of related. (laughs) Yeah, that's really amazing. I know you told me at one point that your research focuses on BDSM and doming as healing for black femmes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to hear some more about your theories and your research and your findings. Yeah. And can you also explain just more specifically for our listeners what doming means? Sure. Yeah. Good okay. So I will start with that. And I think that that kind of depends on the person. But, you know, I think in general, it's like kind of um, these like sexual power dynamics of like topping someone in kind of specific ways. So for me, doming has been topping and controlling and owning sexually intimately emotionally etc like cisgender men particularly Mm -hmm. white cis straight men um, but I have domed other people and so it can look a myriad of ways I think when people hear that I'm a dominatrix or when they hear about BDSM they think about like 50 shades of gray or they think (laughs) about I don't know if y'all saw that bit where Conan O'Brien, I think, <laughs> went to Germany and saw a dominatrix. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> people were like, <laughs> when that happened, a bunch of people sent me gifts of it. I was like, is this what you do? <laughs> I was like, kind of, I guess. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's like maybe in some ways a lot of what people think. Like if people are like, send me a picture of a woman in a cat suit with a leash and a whip. They're like, is this what you do? And I'm like, yeah, I do that. But I also do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And doming has been really important for me, not just to kind of like have, use it in this political way of like asserting myself as a black woman and femme, but also like being able to explore my sexuality and be like, I am sexual in this way. And it might not be something that I'm used to seeing or 
something that I feel like our society says is okay, but I've been able to explore myself in those ways. Um, and so I guess everything that I'm rambling about is kind of what doming means and has meant to me. It's also kind of always changing. So I kind of also don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And then in terms of healing... I always feel like it might sound kind of narcissistic that I wrote part of my master's thesis about myself, but it was really just a way for me to be like, I have all of these feelings about what I do and I don't know what to do with them and these thoughts. So I just like started writing it down and then it was like, oh, this is now a hundred pages. <laughs> Amazing. Like everyone's master's thesis should be more reflective like that. I've read some very terrible master's thesis, so good for you. <laughs> Uh, it was really scary, but I was really, really lucky to have, like, be in a program and have committee members that were so sex positive and so welcoming, being like, you might be, I might be your professor, and now I know these kind of weird things about you, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but so when I got into sex work, I was escorting, particularly I got into sex work for necessity. I was in like kind of different circumstances that was allowing me to not really be making any money and I needed to get out of the situation I was in. And sex work was really just so helpful to helping me move out of that situation. And so when I got into a better place, I was like, wow, I actually want to continue being a sex worker, but I think I want to kind of redefine how I want to do it. And so through like lots of exploration, I figured out that doming, being a dominatrix was a niche that I really enjoyed. And it's been a thing that's been very cathartic, very emotional, positive and, and negatively. And it's just like played a really big role in my life. And I was like, there's like so much energy that I've been harnessing through my sex work that I've been using outside of sex work. And it's not, and you know, me being a dom is not by any means the revolution, <laughs> but it has been really important for my own kind of like need for healing um, under capitalism and under like yes. misogyny mm -hmm. and racism and stuff um, mm -hmm. for some very obvious reasons and some not so much. And so I started to explore like, what does it mean for black women and black femmes in particular, but you know, all women and femmes to be engaging in the kind of sex work that's like reversing the roles of gender and for me reversing um, the roles of race. And when I was, so in the research, I was trying to find a lot of other black feminists that are wonderful and amazing that have written about it. And it was kind of like, sometimes some people didn't have really good feelings about BDSM as it related to black women because, you know, is it really beneficial? You know, there's just so many questions to be had about what the purpose of engaging in BDSM as a black woman um, has mm -hmm. for our struggles. And so there just wasn't a lot of narratives that fit the kind of thought processes I was having, which is like, maybe this isn't um, something beneficial on a systemic level, but what benefits does it have for us on these individual levels as we struggle every day? And so that's kind of where what I mean by doming as healing for people that are like me or share yes. similar identities as me. And also just like, what kind of healing should be valued? And I think that it has become a kind of self-care I think that a lot of us throw around the world self-care. I certainly do without always like engaging in it or realizing how important it is. Mm. And so, yeah, just kind of all of those thoughts led me to kind of write on that and hopefully expand on that if I start my PhD. So, <laughs> I think I remember reading a little bit that most of your subs are white men. And then also yes. that because, you know, by virtue of them having to pay you for this experience, they also tend to be more well-to-do. And I'm curious yes. if you feel like they get any of the kind of psychological benefits about from playing within the power structure kind of like you're describing or oh, you know, yeah. not yeah I think it would depend on the person and mm -hmm. I, I think my overall answer is going to be no mm -hmm. because am I allowed to swear I don't know yeah oh yeah I okay. mean our whole podcast is called season of the bitch oh that's true so. yeah that's true, that's true. do it yeah, okay. <laughs> because they're just ultimately so fundamentally shitty <laughs> as white yeah. men. Like <laughs> and Yeah, they are. Yeah. We talk about this a lot. <laughs> and even even in this like a role reversal, they like they're fetishizing me. Like they're not really mm -hmm. getting a systemic change that's like, oh, 
I really actually understand racism and I'm going to change the way I live and like release my capital and give it to oppress people and like make these changes and like fight for a revolution. They're not doing that. They just have money to like, like to have this privilege to pay for an intimate experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and an intimate experience that kind of is um, founded on my exoticness because not only am I black, a lot of um, reach, well, not only am I black, they love that I'm from Africa. So there's that exotic level of that. And then also because I'm educated and I, I've learned that these like horrible white dudes love that. So I use that in my branding and they come to me and say really shitty things. Like, I love that you're educated. Like, as if like oh, black God. women can't oh, be educated. And I'm always in this As kind in, of it's like the most <sighs> highly educated demographic in the United States. Right, actually. right. It's I'm always like in this weird kind of what's the catch twenty two, I think. Yeah. Um, of like I need to use the things that they fetishize me for as marketing and also I hate them. Like fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I you know, some of them I think also do get a lot of things out of it even if it's like on a superficial level, you know, I've had people be like, I think about my presence as a white man in spaces now. And sometimes that includes like, oh, well now I open the door for only black women, which I'm like, that's some weird chivalry that I don't really care about, but whatever, you're, do- you're fine. This is the best you can do. That's okay. Um, God, to like this other now. guy, <laughs> this other guy, I made him read a lot of like, bell hooks and stuff and he <laughs> like yeah. changed his he's like really rich and like made several million dollars a year and so like opened this foundation to help support um black women in the south side that are I think being evicted or having some sort of housing issues to which i was like just like direct most of that money into your bank account and then into my bank account and then we would be set. Yes. <laughs> but that was I also I love really... how much agency you have even though this is like, you know, there is the weird power dynamic that and a lot of these men aren't getting the, you know, the things that you're getting out of it. Right, yeah. You get to kind of use what they're fetishizing for your own gain, which yeah. is its own form of agency. And yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that's been really fun. I really like using and exploiting these people. Um, yes. <laughs> Hell yes. Whenever I'm, there's always sometimes when I'm very lucky to have another queer person as a slave. And that is just so amazing because there is no need for this like kind of gross fetishization. They come in with like the same understandings of race and gender or similar understandings that I have. And then it's like a more like fundamentally sex positive um, space where I'm allowing this person or not allowing, giving them the opportunity to explore sides of them that they can't because, you know, cis heteropatriarchy also impacts men and says mm-hmm. that they can't be submissive. And then I'm like, hey, I have a dungeon that I rent that you can come and be submissive and I'll put makeup on you. And we don't have to talk about it as if having makeup on, even if you're like mask presenting, is actually really submissive, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but we can like play in those roles and appreciate them. Mm -hmm. That's always fun. That's always so fun, but it doesn't happen very often. (laughs) Mainly it's to straight dudes that like in order to be submissive need to evoke things around femininity and that's problematic and I used to not mm-hmm. do things like that like quote unquote sissification mm-hmm. but yeah. then I was like well I, I kind of still just need money so I'll just do it <laughs> yeah. fuck you pay me <laughs> yeah <laughs> fuck you pay me <laughs> I'll do it and then I'll like journal about it <laughs> there you go why did you start uh, doing sex work in the first place like what brought you to that yeah, the fucking cis heteropatriarchy brought me to sex work because I was really poor and in an abusive relationship and working full time and not making enough to pay rent because the person that I was with was abusing our money. And I was just like, I really need extra income fast to be able to get my way out of this situation. You know, I think I heard about a couple different things from friends about like sugar babying and escorting. And so I got into those things kind of like out of necessity. It was like, I need to get out of this house because content, no abuse. This partner was abusive. That's how I got into it. Kind of bleak, but it like saved me, you know, like 
I up and it was like a lot, like several months in which I was in this unfortunate circumstance. And then when I finally was like, I'm going to escort, I was able to save up the money quickly and be independent and be away from this person that was not good to me. And so for that, I will always be so thankful for sex work. Mm-hmm. But it has changed so much since then. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, being a sugar baby and sugar dating later in the episode. Would you mind uh, just telling us a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So sugar babying for me was using these websites to find rich men who are in denial of the fact that they're paying for sex and like a sexual romantic experience and treat you as if you're their girlfriend you know, or mistress Mm. or like mistress as in they have a wife um, and you're like their side chick. (laughs) Um, Mm. So it'd be like going to dinner and going to the opera and then having sex and only getting $200. (laughs) It was so much labor. Oh yeah. Emotional labor. Yeah. It seems to involve a lot of emotional labor at that point. (laughs) Yeah. I, God, just, just fuck me and pay me. I don't want to like have to talk to you and get to know you. It was so much. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. What in your experience have been the largest pitfalls of sex work? Mm. That answer has two parts to me. (laughs) The pitfalls within sex work is maybe worrying about safety. Right. Mm -hmm. When I like I'm very lucky now to be quite solid in my dom persona and I work in a very safe dungeon and have community. But it wasn't always like that. I was like working in hotels and you just never really know. And I would have like a group of friends that I'm like, here's all of the information that I could gather about this person and where I'm going to be. And so if I don't text you by 2 p.m., you know, and those things are very scary. I have a partner and they were always really worried about that. And I've had a few sort of sick situations where a person just isn't very respectful It was part of the reason why I transitioned into doming versus escorting because your relationship with your client is very different. Mm. Like you're using your your body and your essence in a very different way. And I feel like for me, doming, I was able to control the situation a little bit more than when I was an escort. I think because I was a little more submissive as an escort and I realized I am not really a submissive person and I don't really like how I'm being engaged and I don't necessarily feel safe. Now it's like I have to assure clients that like I'm not going to just tie them up, beat them till they bleed and like leave them and take pictures and get them fired at their job. So I feel much more in control. (laughs) Um, So that's great. Outside of sex work, the biggest thing has been about how to keep it private or how to find a balance between privacy and not because you need to market yourself you also don't know like who in your like communities friends or families is supportive and you don't know how this information circulates i've been outed by family members to other family members i don't think that their tension was ne- intention was necessarily malicious but it's also just like i know that as a sex worker i would never even bring anything up about someone else being a sex worker unless i knew explicitly from that sex worker that that this other person knew right absolutely but other people don't really like know that protocol and if they somehow find my social media or if i even maybe slip up and talk about it you don't know if they're gonna go tell other people that i explicitly don't want it to be talked about with Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and that's been scary because there's specific people in my life that i don't i need them to not know and you just never really know who knows and also you never really know who's going to react how people are going to react to this information like am i going to get fired at my work if my executive director finds out that i'm a dominatrix you know like Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. are just so iffy and judgy about sex work so Mm -hmm. those have been the two biggest pitfalls and hardships all that taken into account, um, what do you think are the areas in which uh, society can better provide support for sex workers and in which, mm. um, you know, we can create some systematic safety nets for sex workers? Mm-hmm. I think it can happen on so many different levels, like on an individual level, like just being able to talk about sex work, cultivating spaces where sex work is not stigmatized is really important so that we can talk about our experiences freely and so that other people can then talk about it and we can like not think of sex work in this way that is judgmental because that really ends up impacting our ability to do our work safely. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also 
I mean, support of sex workers needs to, of course, happen on like a like a social political level. Laws. I mean, obviously, let's just go ahead and legalize sex work. <laughs> but until that happens, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Chicago is really weird about different ways of repressing our ability to do work. And I think about things with Backpage. Like I moved to Chicago two years ago and it was like recent, right before I moved, there was this whole thing of like the sheriff or I don't know what this guy's name is. Some important person in the county had made it mm-hmm. so that you couldn't use Visa and MasterCard on Backpage to put your ads. And that was just like, why would you do that to us? You know, on a kind of national level, Backpage not allowing us to post ads anymore. That I really took a big hit when they stopped allowing us to advertise on Backpage because that's where most of my advertisements were. And I have like other sex workers that are like black and trans that were in different, like people that maybe don't even have a website and were really relying on Backpage because you could do it for free. Now they're like, I have no way to post ads and like make money and support myself and my family. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this repression of sex work comes because there is this horrible conflation between sex work and sex trafficking. Right. And I just need people to get their shit together and learn the <laughs> difference between the two so that y'all can go and help people that are sex trafficking get out of those situations. And we can also mm-hmm. help sex workers do our work um, yes. in a way that is safe for us and consensual. And they're just harming victims of sex traffickers and people that are doing sex work because we act like it's the same thing. And it's just so fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, that seems to kind of deny the entire concept of agency as well. Yeah. Totally. I So I was going to bring this up later, but I actually would love to hear your opinion on it. I lived in Portland, Oregon for a while, and they have one of the highest strip clubs per capita in the country, but they also have like some of the highest rates of sex trafficking. And so people really struggle with, you know, Portland, a very like bastion of liberal thought type city, and they really want to support sex workers and particularly women's liberation through sex work. Mm -hmm. But there's also so much sex work or so much sex trafficking, excuse me, particularly from Southeast Asia Mm -hmm. and particularly of young girls and teenage girls. And so do you have any, I guess, advice or thoughts on how to really separate those out in a dialogue where, particularly in cities where there's high rates of, of both, you know, like Portland, where they're trying to have like a really strong sex work community, but there's also because of how much sex work is going on, like they're worried that part of the high levels of sex trafficking are due to the amount of sex work where they can kind of be hidden throughout that process. Yeah. And I think like that is not fair. That's exactly where my mind goes when you were talking is that they like sex traffickers can exploit the fact that there is a lot of wonderful sex work happening to hide, to cloak the Mm -hmm. exploitation that they're doing within it because that I think it's because of that conflation. And so in the training that I teach in the city around the intersections of sex work and interpersonal violence, I like kind of really rag on (laughs) about sex trafficking. And what's been really helpful is just like really defining sex trafficking explicitly um, and like the different components of it. So like it has like four parts, like, you know, like coercing someone and kidnapping them and moving them away from their community and uh, moving them away from support systems and then like exploiting them in different ways because I think that people think of sex trafficking like the common things between sex trafficking and sex work is that it involves well I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna change it is that it involves the word sex but Mm -hmm. sex trafficking it's not that it's not sex that's happening you know it's abuse it's rape Mm -hmm. and assault like it's really unfortunate to people that are trafficked to think of what's happening to them as sex trafficking i just have a lot of feels about this you know i don't actually really know i just know that what's been really important to me is to see the differences between them and to like honor sex work as a space that is something that you should have agency around and when you do that and when you can i like if we can freely identify and talk about 
who is a sex worker and what sex work looks like, then you can almost like kind of categorize and compartmentalize um, us as sex workers who are doing something because we choose to. And then that kind of, for me, uncovers all of this kind of secret stuff that's happening that we couldn't really see that was in the shadows because we're thinking about sex, sex trafficking and sex work all as one thing. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, it, it absolutely does, definitely. does. I have a related question that I've wondered about a lot. As somebody who is, you know, a socialist feminist and but also a kinky person, are there good ways to be well, like consumers or clients of sex workers and to sort of responsibly, you know, partake in that? Oh, interesting. So you're asking from the perspective of someone seeking sex work services right like you were saying how fun it is to dom you know other queer people so if you're somebody who's like you want to engage in that and you're happy to pay people for that service like how do you make sure you know you're you're doing as little harm as possible and you're kind of responsible Mm. about that god this question is not asked enough (laughs) i wish all of my slaves were listening (laughs) (laughs) i understand that like slaves and clients or clients um maybe are worried about their own privacy i think it i can understand like you're just like seeing someone's pictures or whatever on the web on a website and you're contacting them and you don't really know who is behind the website but for and i and i think for those of there's a privilege in being a sex worker that also has a, a visibility that can be supported like uh referenced by others like i have you know reviews and I can have someone that can be like, yep, she's an actual dom and I know her. That's just because I've been able to have to like have a website and build a community in a certain way. Um, so I guess what I'm about to talk about doesn't speak for sex workers who are maybe doing street based things or doing work that they, for whatever the case may be, they're not visible. And so you don't have that kind of validity that's like keeping up your, your character, if that makes sense. But for someone who is like verified, I, I need people to trust that it is actually that we both have risks in this. Um, you are coming to me and you don't know who I am until we actually finally talk and meet. But at the same, like if, if there was a story to be leaked about John went to go see Mistress Velvet, I would be the one who would be vilified by society as the, mm-hmm. the prostitute, not this like CEO dude. And that's like, that's mm-hmm. how it always happens. So I need people to trust that there is a large, there is a risk for us sex workers. And honestly, the risk is much more for us Mm -hmm. in terms of how people would use information about a sex worker versus a client and how society sees these two people in this, like two parts of this party. And so I ask for information because I need it for my own safety. If a person was to like harm me, then at least I like, this is their phone number. This is their address or whatever. And then I can like, try to at least seek out justice, although I probably wouldn't be able to get justice because people don't fucking care about sex workers. And people just, like, they want to seek you out. I have a form that I need for very specific reasons, again, for safety, and people are so lazy and just want to be like, hey, are you free at six? No, bitch, I'm not. I actually have a job and, like, a social (laughs) life as well. Fucking fill out my reservation form with the correct information (laughs) and trust that I don't fucking need to exploit you, to get you to lose your job. I need you to have your job so that you can pay me. And people come into this being way too much victims. You have the money to pay 300 plus dollars an hour. Like, get the fuck off my dick about like, (laughs) oh, I'm so worried. I am the one who is the victim here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just trust sex workers. We have much more to lose than they do. Absolutely. And I don't know if Hope was um, getting at like how if people on the left want to kind of go down the avenue of seeking out sex work, how do they make sure they're not amplifying things like sex trafficking? How do they make Mm. sure that when they're participating, that they're going to someone who is like sex positive and wanting to do this for their own autonomy? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I don't know. But what I would say is you end up building however small a relationship with a sex worker when you've reached them out and Mm -hmm. like so much of our work involves even if we don't fundamentally care about the client we care about them enough to care about their needs for the time that they're with us and that means that we have to listen 
And mm-hmm. and that also means that the client has to listen to us. Right. There's a lot of um, resources on like if you are you found an ad, how to tell if it's a genuine sex worker or or there's language that can maybe be red flags for like sex trafficking. Mm. I think those things are really important. But then also once you've determined that, okay, this is an actual person that is like has chosen to do this work, making sure that you are res- like listening to like what their boundaries are. If you're like, okay, I want to like have a cute, like one hour kinky fuck with you. In addition to being like, these are the things that I want and don't want right now asking that from them at that i think that's Mm. something that is not asked Mm -hmm. very much is like what we want because people just assume that we would do anything and i think that's why there's kind of this horrible narrative that's like quote unquote prostitutes can't be raped (laughs) you know like just because we are service involves sex sex is so many different things and I think that if you are seeking a sex worker as a person that's sex positive, that respecting sex positivity also includes not doing some things or like, you know, just having a lot of boundaries, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, this is a very different example, but even in the restaurant service industry, many clients of a restaurant feel entitled to sexually harass women servers. And it's like, that's not what we signed up for. That's not like, that's not part of this job. Just because I'm a service industry worker does not mean you can treat me in that way. Right. But so I think that there obviously are these limits that are constantly eroded by the ways in which, you know, these patriarchal cis men like really kind of fuck things up for the rest of us yeah (laughs) you know i worked to work at a coffee shop in college and sometimes i look back at it and i'm like we really need to expand what our definition of sex work is because (laughs) i'm over here trying to like i'm just a barista but the way that men would come in and engage with you it's like they're buying sex with coffee and i did not consent to you like talking to me and looking Mm -hmm. at me in this way like what the fuck <laughs> yeah walking down the street as sex work yeah just yes like being yeah. a human in society yeah totally. yeah miss velvet you are amazing oh thank, thank you. you so much thank you for thank being you. with us on season of the bitch i think even on the left people just don't approach this topic at all and so yeah. thank you for being so open and honest with us so that you know we can start to demystify some of yeah. this work Well, thank you for making, creating the space where it can be talked about. I think this podcast is going to be really great. Well, thanks so much. Is there anything else that you want to share before we uh, take our music break? Sex work is work. And thank you so much for letting me like share my voice. One of many voices. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your story. Thank you. All right. Well, we are going to take a music break now. And when we come back, we have um, one more interview.
You just heard Black Rainbow by Pleasure Thief, written by Kat Reese, who is actually joining us right now. Hey, Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. We really do appreciate it. I'd like to start off just asking you what kind of sex work it is that you do. Yeah, sure. So I work as a stripper, work at a strip club, and I've been doing that on and off for about four years, which is the longest job I've ever held and also longer than any relationship I've ever had. So it's helped me work through some uh, commitment issues, I guess. I also do public sugar dating arrangements or partnerships where um, you have someone that offers you financial tribute or like a mentorship situation and then some like sexual healing work on a more energetic esoteric way. Oh that's really interesting. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about that? Sure yeah. So to me sexual energy and creative energy come from the same place. So it's the same type of feeling, expressions, it, it can the same types of can happen. And so for me, energy work plays a central role in my any practice with clients or people I'm engaging with. So I'll either incorporate like personal rituals, different meditations, things to create certain protective barriers for myself and things to open up an avenue for the person in a spiritual sense because I believe that we all have ancestors and spiritual spirit guides working with us. Whether or not the other person does, I still can invite their guides to be in the circle with us when we're working together because my aim is that it becomes more transcendental I think with a lot of people in the United States for sure I'll speak on that because that's where I live super sexually depressed and a lot of that has to do with religious dogma right and so like like Roman Catholic Empire long like you know decades ago deciding to sever spirituality from sexuality or sensuality I mean like Wiccan, pagan, Yoruba, all kinds of philosophies and spirituality and religions that go back centuries understand the importance of having the two. But here in the States, we're so sexually repressed that people just have a lot of, especially men, I think, have this total misunderstanding of, or like cis men, this total misunderstanding of their sexual energy. So it kind of manifests in destructive ways or really obsessive ways. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, I try and transform it into something else to try and like break into more emotional ground, which a lot of the time ends up happening anyway, especially at a strip club where people are just like telling their problems to you the entire time. And it becomes, it's like far more um, emotional and psychological than it is sexual, which I think people would be surprised to hear. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most interesting things about sex work to me is just how much of it is like emotional labor and I yeah I don't think that a lot of people go into it expecting it to be something where uh, the sex worker has to kind of walk away having dealt with the emotions of you know their clients but I think that's a pretty consistent element that I've heard you know just from talking with sex workers right and uh, I think that the issue is yeah it is it's labor it's just labor the difference between a sex worker and say like a construction worker is just that there's no moral religious judgment on the construction worker, but both totally. use their bodies, you know, and with construction workers, I know a lot of them, like they, they come into the clubs a lot and they work so hard, really ridiculously long hours and just can't end up, can't really sustaining that job for that long because it's so damaging to their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, that, that could, if we're looking at, like, work in the context of it being damaging or bad for you or something, with, which I think a lot of people assume sex work is, like, oh, it's deviant, oh, there's something wrong with them. Right. Oh, it's, like, it's hurting their emotional lives, it's hurting their psychological lives. Like, no, uh-uh, not at all. But, like, it could be just as damaging to be a construction worker, to just destroy your body. So what first got you involved in sex work? What kind of was your drive to get involved in dancing? particularly, but um, the other areas that you work in as well. Sure. I guess dancing, it was always in the back of my mind as something that maybe I would want to do someday, but I really actually didn't think I'd pursue it mm-hmm. or, you know, let alone really, really enjoy it. And my roommate at the time, she was interested in it too, so we auditioned together at a local club and both are still in the sex work realm. Mostly I stayed because the job allows for a really flexible schedule and abundant cash flow, although uh, inconsistent, but 
maybe two, three nights to what I'd make in two weeks at another job. And that was really exciting to me because I'm definitely a person whose career professional path is non-conventional. Like I've tried to do the nine to five job, but to my father's uh, sorrow, I guess, it's just not for me. Um, and I, that's why I really like having the, the amount of free time that it allows me and it's empowering. It, I mean, it can be really heavy at times, that's for sure. But it's taught me so many really important lessons that I would not have learned any other way. And that's what I really love about it. And I'll say that it's easy for me. did a lot of self-work to be really comfortable and confident in myself. And that's really important when doing this work because you come up against so many judgments, so many people projecting their pain onto you, their, their worries and their fears onto you. So you really have to have a strong sense of self to be able to navigate all of that. But I really love it, and I love being able to help people and connect with people. I mean, at the same time, I kind of, like, hate people sometimes, but right. um, but it's been really positive more than it's been than it's been negative. Well, that's great. So what would you say has been the most re- rewarding part of sex work for you? I think, so like I mentioned, the, the lessons that I've learned. Mm-hmm. I've learned to establish personal boundaries and uphold them in a way that I wasn't able to when I was younger, that I had a lot of issues with where maybe years ago, if someone was hitting on me at a bar and I was not interested, I would still give them my number anyway, even if I had no no interest in calling them at all. But now yeah. I, I'll be like, <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I don't want to talk to you. Please go away. And I have no problem saying that, which feels really good. And that's because in the realm of the club, you can pretty much tell someone off if they're being a total dick. And that I really love because it's absent in any other sort of customer service work, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I'm um, I also, Yeah. <laughs> right. The customer is not always right. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And I'm really glad about that. I appreciate it. So also the intense therapeutic connection that it provides for people. There's a lot of uh, spiritual and emotional healing. The ways that I've been able to explore my body through dance and just the like the ecstasy of dance. I love being on stage and dancing to a song I, um, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And the power of commanding someone's attention, which is just another way to learn about your body. Like a really, so a story of, um, like a really powerful story for me that's close to my heart is this man who I became good friends with. He was pretty young, 23 or something, and he had been in Afghanistan for a few years, and he came back and is just ridden with PTSD, lots of trauma, and on a ton of pharmaceutical drugs. He would come in, and we would hang out and talk at the bar, get a few dances, but come in for me pretty consistently. And we got along really well. He was a really, really sweet, sweet guy. One time he came in and he was like high on Molly and was like, let's do a champagne room. And champagne rooms are, at my club, it's $250 for a half an hour. And it's just a drawn out lap dance pretty much. So we're starting and he shows me a tattoo on his chest that's for a buddy of his in the war. And then he starts telling me about how he watched this buddy die, like get shot right in front of him, mm. and how he had an opportunity, could have shot at and killed the person that was shooting at his friend, but he didn't, and he started crying. He was crying just so much, and I just held him the entire time, telling him that, you know, you you hesitated to kill a human being. That's not bad. Like, that is not a bad thing. You were kind of brainwashed to just be this lethal weapon. So, you know, don't feel bad because you didn't kill someone. And I was like, you know, your body would understand. So then the whole half hour is just me holding him while he cries. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot. I'm sure there are tons of uh, dancers out there that can be like, oh, yeah, I've, you know, spent time with someone while they cry instead of, like, dancing for them. That is really powerful. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's like it's still emotional for me now. But think of that, that people don't, isn't in like popular conversations about strip clubs or sex work is the really deeply spiritual and emotional healing that happens. Mm -hmm, Definitely. On another note, what in your experience have been some of the like the largest pitfalls of sex work or the things that you enjoy the least? Sure, yeah. So, like, you know, it can be empowering, but it can be really oppressive. And I think because we live in a culture that condemns sex work and applies these religious morals to sexuality in general, 
makes it really hard to maintain the empowering aspects of this kind of work and to feel protected and appreciated for how important it is. In any work situation, you're, you know, you're selling yourself for labor. Like I was saying, talking about construction workers selling their body for grueling labor that leads to like damage and chronic severe pain. So mm-hmm. to judge someone for using their body to work just because it's sexual is really critical if you approve of these other forms. Um, Absolutely. And I think so. With that, it's just that we also live in a paradigm of capitalism and patriarchy and misogyny, toxic masculinity, misguided sexuality, stigmas, all these stigmas about dancing come from that. And people thinking like, oh, we're all drug addicts or you're, they're whores, sluts, nymphomaniacs, whatever, terrible mothers, all this total bullshit that just comes from this deeply misogynistic way of viewing women. And it's been like, I mean, that, this goes back ages, like sex is life. It's like creative energy. And I think sexual energy is so powerful that it terrifies those who are kept from the healing and transformative nature of it. Right. Because, like I was saying, our culture has divorced spirituality and sexuality. It's turned a lot of people into like emotionally stunted, sex-obsessed bigots. So lots of people seeking healing from sex workers do so because of their own damaged sexuality. And this manifests in really beautiful ways, but sometimes really destructive ways. Yeah, absolutely. So it can be like transcendent and transformative and can give, and like because of the amazing primal power that is the ability to give your body and your attention and your sexual prowess to someone. Many people are intimidated, jealous, or frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that is, then they react in really upset, wanting to like control it because they want that for themselves. And that, I think, is where a lot of the really negative stuff comes from. Like, I, you know, you get dudes that come in there thinking that they can just, like, grab you, do whatever they want, get pissed if, if you get mad at them or say, like, don't fucking touch me. They just don't know how to take rejection. And they don't know how to pick up on, like, uncomfortable cues from people or just to, like, keep their hands to themselves unless they're, they're asked. Yeah, and I think I think that maybe the idea of being rejected by someone whose job is to feign interest is right. <laughs> yeah, it's more. It might be perceived as more of like a you know deeper form of rejection than just being like rebuffed by someone on the street. But I think that also like the dehumanization of of sex workers, how they're often you know portrayed as just bodies without people in them, leads a lot of clients, a lot of people who, you know, patronize strip clubs to think that they are entitled to strippers' bodies and attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes from um, what I was saying about how it's like sexual power is is intense. And if someone is stunted and it's suppressed in them, it's like a classic archetypal narrative of the, like, the dark, evil, obsessive, controlling man that sees this like beautiful powerful wild woman and wants to um trap them right you know keep them for themselves because they can't find that light or that power in themselves. Mm-hmm. one thing that i've heard about various strip clubs is um about like house fees and uh tip outs and things like that and how uh-huh. essentially it amounts to like strippers actually having to pay the club to work there before they can take home any money. Have you had any experience with those kinds of policies? Or do you have any oh, yeah that's, yeah, that's pretty across the board how it goes. So we're technically independent contractors, mm-hmm. but that's just the title. So the, the, uh, the house can get away with just treating us however they want because we're still treated like employees in a lot of other ways. But this way, they get out of having to pay, like, workers' comp or any benefits or anything like that. Right. Or an hourly wage. So yeah, you most most houses you have to pay to rent the stage, and then you can keep your tips. But you also, but you usually at most places have to give a portion of the money from the lap dances that you make too. And then they find all kinds of ways to find you for stupid stuff. Like you'll find you if you're late, find find you have to like miss a shift, all kinds of stuff. So it's not really scheduling on our terms. We do so our rules. We have to abide by. And that's part of why I would really like to get some sort of sex workers union going. And it would be, it's going to be really hard because so many dancers just think that, well, this is how it is now. I don't want to get in trouble for trying to go up against the big old boss and then lose my job. Or, you know, I'm okay with things the way things are now, so I don't want to expend any energy in trying to change it. But I think that if 
I could organize in some way and get other dancers and sex workers understand that together, if we, you know, if we band together, we can find ways to help offer just like protection from the law to help like decriminalize it. We can find a way to just advocate for people's rights when they quickly respond to people being mistreated. We could try to influence policy. Policing court could offer like an organization that encourages uh, self-advocacy, offers counseling. Maybe work with like healers and body workers to offer discounted healing. Just a place where you have a group of people that will listen and respect you. So I'd, I'd like to start doing that and maybe just try getting folks together to talk and discuss, see how they respond, listen to what they want, what's important to them, what they would want to change, just to, just to see what happens. Because I think it's so so necessary, but maybe because it's like sex work is still considered illegal. Right. In the realm of like the people that work on the streets and stuff. But it's something I think is super necessary and that the world really, really needs right now in order to break free of this old, really destructive, harmful, poisonous paradigm. Absolutely. Are there any other ways in which you think society can provide support for sex workers? Or um, are there, is there anything going on in your local community related to um, support for sex workers? No, not quite. I mean, just just me and a friend trying to organize a, a union, that's pretty much it, but that's going to take a while. <laughs> I'm in touch with a woman from France who started Straff. That's a sex workers union out there. So I'm going to be talking with her in a few weeks, which I'm really, really excited about, just to get some ideas of what worked for them, what didn't. And aside from that, I think what I would like to see to happen with society is where we uh, we do more work to heal our own sexual suppression and our sexual trauma so we aren't so afraid and judgmental of those who are comfortable with their sexuality, to remove religious dogma from our bodies and just from the ways that we interact and move through the world, mm-hmm. to try and contain it to... Because, you know, re- so religion tries to contain our sexuality to, like, reproductive or commitment monogamy based relationships. Right. So just continuing to move away from these really strict judgmental ways of viewing the world and existence and saying like, well this is how it has been, this is how it has to be, right? Like, no no, you all are wrong and it's just all ju- so judgmental. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's so obvious to me that it comes from a place of personal pain and insecurity. Right. So to work on healing that, I would like to see. And I think that's that's the biggest way. It's like either hateful people die off or they do this like self-work to uh, get to a place where they can live in harmony with other people. Right. Do you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners or um, any pieces of advice? I mean, I guess if anyone's listening and they're interested in, in maybe dancing, because I get a lot of people that, that come to me, like, will message me and ask for some advice. I'd say make sure that you are really comfortable with yourself, that you've gotten to a point. You know, we all have days of insecurity, but you you get to a point where things that people say to you can roll off of your back, that you can mm-hmm. take someone's insult and understand that it has nothing to actually do with you, but everything to do with them. That's Super crucial. Also, to remember that when you're you are at work, so make sure that you um, aren't letting anyone waste your time. That's another big one. <laughs> that is really good advice. Right. Yeah, and also I guess to remember that the the other dance there too, like you're all in it together. So you know, don't be intimidated, but just be yourself and don't compare yourself to anyone else because mm-hmm. there's just totally useless and only inspires self-deprecation. But Everyone that comes in there into a club, like all genders, they are attracted to different types of people. Some people are attracted to a body first. Some people need to talk to you, need to like get to know you. It's you know, it is a realm of uh, of like objectification a little bit, but you'll find that there are people that 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 can go deeper with you, and that's always a really fulfilling thing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Um, Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, (laughs) thank you again. You have a great night. Yeah, thanks. You too. Take care. That was all great. It was amazing. 
Yeah, I want to share something that really resonated with me. Uh, Mistress Velvet talked about how we should broaden our idea of sex work. Meditating on that, I worked uh, as a bartender at a couple of different dive bars, and I don't think I was really prepared for how sexualized that job would be. Mm. A lot of times men would be uh, incredibly like sexual with me, and the way I responded to that would impact how much money I made. So, you know... <laughs> In a sense, that's a type of sex work. And, you know, I had certain boundaries around that, but I also, I often felt compelled to find ways to entertain it. I'm really glad she talked about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Before we close out, a friend of mine that I've known for years has actually participated in sugaring. In other words, has been a sugar baby, which, of course, Mr. Velvet told us a little bit about. And um, I had them write a letter or ask them to write a letter describing their experience with sex work. And so this next piece uh, that Hope is going to read for us is um, a letter from Sydney. My name is Sydney, and for two and a half years, I was a full-time sugar baby. Of course, Sydney isn't my real name. It's the name I used online while sorting through rich men who wanted to meet up for companionship, a pretty euphemism that always, always meant sex. When I was a senior in college, I went through a breakup with my boyfriend of two years and realized that I wasn't in a monogamous situation anymore. Having recently discovered that sex could be a dispassionate physical act for me and not bothered by that, I started exploring my options for sex work. Sugaring seemed to be the most sensible choice, and once I began, I realized I enjoyed it as jobs went. To give a too-long-didn't-listen summary of my experience, I'd like to acknowledge, first of all, that I was in an incredibly privileged position in the industry. When I started, I didn't need a full-time job, as I was still in school on a full-ride scholarship. I'm white and conventionally attractive with a college education. I had the luxury of marketing myself in an upscale way, which meant that I could receive full-time wages by going out on one dinner and hotel date night a week. I had a wonderful support system of free-thinking friends. I feel very passionately about legalizing full-service sex work. The current system does not allow any discernment between healthy, controlled sex work, sex work in poor conditions because of desperation, and abuse or trafficking. This endangers the people who choose this job for any reason. Blanket criminalization means there are no structures in place for dealing with abuse or establishing wages, something that has always been taken advantage of by scum. I chose to stop because I had another full-time job that supported me, and I began a relationship with a partner who requested that we remain monogamous emotionally and physically, and I was comfortable moving away from it. Even so, my involvement in the industry is something very personal for me. My closing advice and request... Fight for the dignity of sex work and those who chose it in every arena. With your vote, with your words, and with your attitude. Question stigma. Respect sex workers from strippers to escorts. Rethink making that joke about porn actors or sugar babies. You never know who might be in the room with you. Yes. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sydney. Thank you. Thanks, Sydney. So this is part one of a two-part episode. We're going to have the second part next week. This one is an interview-based episode about the actual things that sex workers want, as well as their perspectives on how we can support them. And next week's episode will be much more theoretical in terms of how leftist thinkers and socialist thinkers have theorized about sex work in the past and kind of how we think that fits into society. Awesome. As always, you can find us hamming up on Twitter. Our handle is at Season of the Bee. We also have a website now. Yay! Um, www.seasonofthebee.com. Thank you to Hope for all the work she's put into that website. Yeah, great yes. job, Hope. You can also email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com if you want to chat or if you want to send us some of your tunes. We are always looking for music by non-men to play during our breaks. And also, if you're a dude that has constructive criticism, don't forget to become a Patreon supporter before you give us your criticism. (laughs) Or just don't forget to become a Patreon supporter. (laughs) Amazing. The end. Bye. All right. Love you all. Bye. Bye. Love you guys. Love you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. We miss you, Colin. Love you. Bye. Bitch. Oh.